Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. I used to be so afraid to say it out loud, but my friend Jamie said to me the other day, like, share your optimism. I just really feel right now I'm in this shift. Things are happening and I'm allowing them to happen and I'm happy to share it. I really feel like I'm entering into a new chapter of my life. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. So how are they doing it? Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. Jamie Lynn Sigler, welcome to No Limits. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to have you here. Um, I'm going to tell a really quick story that you will not remember, but it did make an impact on me. So when I was a kid and you were a kid, um, teen people had this award ceremony for 20 teens who will change the world. And I was one of the kids in the group. And I remember you were there as like a celebrity yeah. to just say, you know, welcome. I'm sure you did this kind of stuff all the time. And and I still remember calling all of my friends in Minneapolis saying, you guys, I just saw Jamie Lynn Siegler. No way. Like, yeah. So <laughs> you made you made this girl from Minnesota very, very That's happy. That's so sweet. Um, I never, ever thought of myself as ever the girl that somebody would call their friends and say they met me. So that's cool to hear. Well, I think you absolutely are that person. And I think you're also a person, just given how much vulnerability you've shared over the years, you're somebody that a lot of young women have really connected to because you've talked about your own battles mm-hmm. um, and you've opened up in ways that, you know, when you came out and talked about your eating disorder, for example, no one had really been vocal about these things at that time. I guess now that I think about it, yeah. But, you know, in in very many ways, I think in sharing my vulnerability, like you say, um, it, it always came at times where I didn't feel like I had a choice any longer. It felt like the, the, the healing thing for me to do was to share mm-hmm. because, you know, battling on your own is is too hard. It's making it harder. And so I found that, you know, the having the platform to share and bring awareness is wonderful, but it really was doing a lot more for me in that moment and at that time than I ever even realized it could. I can imagine growing up as a child actor And you started really young, right? You were performing in plays. Mm -hmm. The Sopranos came along when you were 16. 16. Yeah, but I had been acting since I was like eight or nine. Yeah. Grew up in Long Island. Mm -hmm. Did you always want to be an actor? And did you even have a sense, were your parents tuned into this idea of how public the whole thing would ultimately be? No, I always, I mean, I had all the big dreams and aspirations as any, you know, kid that wants to be an actor has, but I never thought it would really ever happen. Um, I I was hoping that I would be on Broadway one day, but I never thought I would be in TV or film or anything. And even when Sopranos happened and, and it was happening, um, the only time that it felt like oh, this is this is a big thing, is when they would fly us out to L.A. for the award shows. Other than that, I mean, we shot in New York. It was in a different time. The Internet wasn't what it was. There was no social media. So 
we lived very normal lives. Like we, we did our job and we went home. So I really never felt like my life was that different. I was just getting to do what I really loved with amazing people. Were there any big surprises to you? The, the things that you didn't expect from all of it? Um, well, I think it's, well, especially when the show first started, I mean, I was just a teenager and going through a lot, going through coming out of an eating disorder and sort of coming into my own and doing that on camera, um, was hard because I remember like HBO had a a website and they had these message boards, you know, for the Sopranos and all these people. And I thought it was so cool. That was such a new thing to happen. And I remember signing on on Meadows page and it was just people just bashing me and my weight and my weight fluctuation. And so I think that was the biggest shock was learning how to deal with like intense criticism from people that I didn't know at all. And, and, you know, dealing with having people sort of comment on something that I was dealing with personally and not, commenting on my acting but really of my physical appearance it was a rough lesson to learn but I'm sort of grateful that it happened as early as it did because I think it sort of set me up for later in life of really not sweating that type of stuff anymore that's such an interesting point especially because now I mean that stuff can come at you 24 7 and people have a million opinions and most of them are well a lot of them not all of them but a lot of them are really nasty yes yes and I and I'm way better at muting all of that than I think I would have been had I not gone through that when I was like 18. So after The Sopranos Mm -hmm. you are now looking at different acting gigs how are you seeing your life in that moment? Well, I was nervous, um, but I was sort of looking to make big changes everywhere in my life. So I decided to make the move to L.A. And in between that, I went on something called Birthright to Israel, where if you're of Jewish... I did that you too. You did? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so I signed up as Jamie Sigler online with one of my best friends and went when I was 26 and had the greatest time. Um, and then that was sort of like the bookend. Did everybody know you as Meadow? Was everyone? Nobody (laughs) said anything to me, which I really appreciated. So I just assumed they didn't know who I was. But as the trip went on, like people started to talk to me about it. And then Birthright caught on. And then they had it. They asked if a camera crew could come follow us for a day. And as I checked with everyone first, I was like, are you guys cool with this? Everyone seemed super excited about it. Dream come true. Yeah. (laughs) And honestly, I was so happy to promote what they do with Birthright. It's such a wonderful, amazing experience for young people to have. So um, that was really cool. And so that was sort of like the bookend for me and sort of like this great emotional, spiritual trip that I took, the end of Sopranos, moved to L.A. And I was sort of dealing a little bit with that double-edged sword of when you're on something so iconic like the Sopranos that people really just associate you with that. And it's hard for them to see you as anything else. And and it's crazy because you're talking about creatives that are having a hard time seeing you past a role that they know you from. And so Entourage came along and it was supposed to be a one-off cameo and he's you know Doug Ellen and I had talked over the years but when I was on Sopranos I wasn't allowed to do Entourage so now that it was done he said look I have this cool idea with you and Turtle it's completely out of the box it's nothing like who you really are just have some fun I was so excited I was a fan of the show and then it turned into a year and a half gig and it in hindsight it was so perfect because it was the medium and the channel everybody knew me from And I was playing myself. There was references to The Sopranos, but it was 
obviously an exaggerated version. And it was sort of like this easy transition for me to sort of step away from Meadow and be something a little different. So I'm super grateful to that experience for so many reasons, but um, professionally that it just sort of allowed people to look beyond Meadow. Since then, you've done CSI, Cyber, Mm -hmm. CSI Cyber, Freeforms, Baby Daddy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Was that fun? It was so much fun. You know, I did a whole season of this show on NBC called Guys with Kids, which was in front of a live audience. And that whole year of my life was so fun because it sort of incorporated the theater aspect that I love so much. And so um, getting to do comedy and something light and fun and different, it's really allowed me to really feel like I'm playing a lot. Um, But also in the past couple of years, I've had a little boy. And so motherhood has completely changed my appreciation for work, but also wanting to take time to really be present for my son, but also take care of myself because I am dealing with a chronic illness that takes a lot of time and care um, that normal people that are, you know, grinding to get work all the time don't have to deal with. So I have to take the time that I need to take sometimes. And so I'm very fortunate that when I am feeling good and ready to work, that the work is there. So 15 years ago, it was that you were diagnosed Mm -hmm. with MS. The Sopranos at that point, you were still in the middle of all of it. Yeah, it was the... The fourth season of Sopranos, I was diagnosed. When you were diagnosed, what what did you think? You know, I think um, I was in shock. And I remember hearing the news, um, trying to understand, and then not asking any more questions. I, I didn't want to know any more about it. I wanted to live in denial. I didn't, I didn't feel sick. Um, it was like a, a very quick sort of onset of symptoms and then they went away and I I went symptom free for quite some time so I in hindsight was living carelessly and wasn't being the best patient and I don't know if life would be different for me now if I was taking care of it properly when I was first diagnosed but it was hard you know I was I was 20 years old and I had a lot of life ahead of me and I was starring on Broadway at the time and I was doing everything I wanted to do and I didn't want to accept that I had something that could possibly take all my dreams away. Um, And during that time, I confided in a couple of people, and we all felt as a group that it was probably best if I just didn't share this news with anybody, which I think maybe at the time was the right move. Um, I think it gave me later in life when the symptoms started to come up more of a fighting attitude than maybe I wouldn't have had because I was fighting so hard to hide it and suppress Mm -hmm. it and beat it. But then, um, you know, it got to a point over the last couple of years where it was doing more damage than anything of of keeping it a secret because you start to feel these feelings of of shame and and guilt. I was embarrassed um, and I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything to deserve it. And I had gone through such an emotional journey with the MS, aside from all the physical stuff, that I really realized like the only way that I'm going to be able to heal as a person, not even just my disease, is to just live my truth at this point. I can't feel like, you know, that I I have this curse on me and that I have to hide this from everybody. And also when I have my son, I just, I never wanted to get to a point where he was going to have to keep that secret from me either. And I wanted to Mm -hmm. be an example for him. I I wanted, you know, the things that I'm teaching him and, and wanting to instill in him is that you can do anything and follow your dreams and you deserve always an opportunity. I wasn't applying that to myself. And so I needed to give myself that chance too. 
What what really was the pivotal moment that helped you come around to that mentality? Um, well, friends and family were trying, I think, convince me for quite some time. What was your argument to them of why you couldn't share? No one will hire me. Um, and then if I really talk about it, then it's really real. I used to have these big dreams that one day I would talk about it when I was better or when it wasn't an issue anymore. Like, And then I would say, oh, I dealt with this. And I, I don't know why I thought that was going to be more impactful than actually talking about it while I'm living with the disease for people that are struggling with it every day. Um, it's, it's, I'm able to sort of be a voice for people that are suffering in silence. And the MS community has given me just as much as they say I've given them because, um, like I said, I think really more than anything, I'm trying to focus more on what this disease has given me than what it's actually taken away. And it's given me um, and a lot of peace, and it's actually led me down a path of, of emotional healing and wellness that I wouldn't have really probably ever cared about or really focused on if had I not had it. You you would have just been living in the craziness of yeah. Let's keep you know let's keep climbing the ladder, the Hollywood ladder, and do another thing and do another performance. Exactly, exactly, and it's really just given me a greater appreciation of everything and taught me how to sort of slow down and and take care of myself and 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 rest and relaxation, which I think is important for um, Americans in general. Which is why I teamed up with Serta for this. Um, declare peace campaign because right now Americans are at a record level of, of stress and discomfort and I know for myself as being a mom that's balancing career and family and a disease you know whether it's 15 minutes or a good night's sleep I need that time for myself and so if you go to declarepeace.com you can find tips from me on how to find that peaceful moments for yourself or from the CERTA team but I think that we need to start reminding ourselves to take better care of ourselves. You know, I think there's only so many hours in the day and we want to take care of everything we need to take care of, but um, we suffer after a while. And so, you know, I've been given a great reminder of how to do that. And so I'm happy to share my tips with people. Absolutely. What What's one of your tips? Give us a little taste of your tips to de-stress. So for me, especially as a mom... I like everything clean and put away before I get in bed, just so that I know when I wake up. surveying the room thinking there's all this stuff I have to deal with. Exactly. So, you know, bottles are washed, dishes are in the washer. You know, it just feels, toys are put away. It just feels better to go to bed and just know that you're going to wake up in more of a peaceful Is your house spotless? I'm a little crazy about it. Yes. (laughs) If you can tell, yes. But we just actually moved to a new home and my bedroom is my favorite room in my home. And it was really important for me. I have like tons of pillows and big blankets and lots of whites and blues and candles. It's and crystals like it's very it's very important for me when I get in my room to be able to deal put aside all the pain and things that I feel during the day and just really decompress and relax. And whether that means my son is in my bed with me or I'm by myself, um, I really think it makes a difference in my life and my physical, emotional well-being. 
I I completely agree with that. I actually, it's funny, you moved, I moved recently, and I focused on the bedroom, and it, it does change things. It, does. it really does. If you have, like, a comfortable bed, and you have the setup that's clean, and you're not just filled with chaos. I mean, I, I'm a person, if you came to my apartment, it's not spotless, but it is clean. But I was one of those, like, piles of, of things to get to kind of person, mm-hmm. you know, like the piles of paperwork. That doesn't work. When, no. you, when you know it's there, it's in the back of your head when you're trying to go to sleep at night. Absolutely. Or it's like when you move and there's always those last three boxes. Yes. You're like, I'll get to them. <laughs> I'll get to them. Those boxes stood there for about two months. And finally, I was like, all right, I'll unpack the office, desk, whatever that I didn't need for a minute. So as you look out at your life, some of these things, you know, they've happened and everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. When you look out at your future, what are some of your goals? What are some of the things you would love to do next? I would love to expand my family. That's I would, exciting. Yes. I would love to continue working, um, continue doing roles that challenge me. You know, I, I'm starting a movie next week, and I'm playing this 1920s flapper. And when I got the script, I said to the director, you know, are you sure you want me? Because I'm really limited in what I can do as a dancer and movement and high heels and things. I, I, I might not be the best choice for it. And he said, you know, Jamie, I just really feel like emotionally you can bring what I need to this girl, and I'll figure it out. And so the fact that there's, you know, been people that have given me that chance since coming forward with my MS, I think will continue, and that's what I'm hopeful for. So hopefully to continue working. And eventually, I don't know, I think I would love to get to a place where I really feel like I put in my time and um, research with this business to start producing. Mm. I don't know about directing, but I, I what just... What kind of projects would you want to produce? Um, I think film because I just I just love the idea of, of telling a story that can move somebody that's complete and and can some that's something that somebody can go back to whenever they need it. Um, impactful stories, stories about powerful women overcoming. I think for so many years I've always felt like a victim, hmm. and I don't feel that way anymore. And so I want to tell more stories of women that are that are overcoming and and whether that's me playing them or me producing it, it's, it's something I aspire to do. Definitely for sure. When my kids are older, when your kids are older, I will definitely watch those stories because we don't have enough of those stories out there. So bravo for you and your interest. How do you compare stage performing versus TV versus film? Do you have a preference? Yes. Stage performing. Is that because the energy in the crowd? It's energy in the crowd. And I don't know. I just feel like it's so much easier for me to step into a role when I'm on the stage in the costumes it's just you can't you can't step out of the energy it's just it's there the entire length of the play or the musical or whatever you're performing and and then when you're filming stuff you know there's cuts and there's this and there's distractions and there's people I think that's much more difficult to me so whenever I'm doing things on film or television I in my head I'm try to approach it like a play because but that's also where my training's from. I mean, I grew up only doing musical theater until Sopranos was my first time ever on a set or in front of a camera. So um, that's really where my heart lies, too. Young person comes to you and says, Jamie, I want to get into this business. What's your advice to them? What do they need to do? Um, I'd say go to as many plays as you can. Watch as many movies as you can. Read as many books. Go into as many acting classes. Just the more experience you can get. I don't have any tips on like call this person or call this agency (laughs) because things freakishly happen for me. And I think that that's how it kind of will happen for everyone. But I think 
the more that you're just around the energy of the business and acting and the every play you see, every movie you watch, every performance you study is just going to continue to fuel you, there's more than one way to skin a cat. So you've just got to figure out what works for you. And I think that comes from research. And to that point about what works for you, the longer that you run away from whatever it is that you are, whoever it is that you are, I actually, I hear this a lot from actors, but also from entrepreneurs. It's when they fully embrace whoever it is that they are, that they things just start to work, yeah. that things just start to fire on all cylinders. I hear you. I really feel like I used to be so afraid to say it out loud, but my friend Jamie said to me the other day, like, share your optimism. I just really feel right now like I'm in this shift of just like things are happening and I'm allowing them to happen and I'm happy to share it and I'm excited and I do. I really feel like I'm entering into a new chapter of my life. I want to clap right now. I oh. think it will sound bad, but <laughs> but I'm I'm really happy to hear that. That's Thanks. awesome. Thank That's you. such a great place to be in. It's a hard place. It was very hard. I always dreamed about yeah. getting to that place. But What I do you really, think helped you get here? I did a lot of work on myself the past couple of years. I really, um, really deeply looked within um, emotionally, spiritually, and it was done through like therapy, through life coaches, through kundalini yoga. Um, books, inspirational books that I've read, mantras, I'm crystals. Like, do you I, have a mantra? Um, I have a couple, but I have a specific one that I say that's a couple of sentences long that I obviously have memorized now. That's hanging in my closet, and it's and it's to paraphrase. It's really just about my visions as a wife, a mother, and an actress, and that just sort of affirming that I deserve these visions and I deserve this dream and that they will manifest. And it's more like when I look at vision boards, it doesn't have to be exactly what I'm putting on the board, but it's the feeling that those pictures give me. And however the universe wants to deliver to me the opportunity to feel that way, I welcome it. I used to be such a stickler that it had to be this way or that way. And it, it doesn't anymore. I think I have to look sort of beyond what I think will be great. That's a really good point. It's sometimes it's just the essence of the thing or how it yeah. how you internalize it that's more important than knowing exactly what that thing is. Exactly. I read that you were a perfectionist as a kid. Mm -hmm. Are you still a perfectionist? Um, better at not being. You know what I find is so funny. Um, and many people that I've met with MS over the past year and a half, we're all perfectionists and kind of um, have issues with control. And isn't it funny that we're all given this disease? that takes away perfection and takes away a lot of our control, like control over your own body. So I think it's a pretty crazy but great lesson in sort of surrender and the power that lies within that. Um, so I think, you know, MS has kind of taught me to sort of chill out a little bit with the control. That leads to my next question, and maybe it is the answer, but toughest lesson you've had to learn to this point in your life. Hmm. Yeah, not being perfect is is actually better and it's okay. I I remember a director once told me, like, Jamie, don't let him see you sweat. And I remember I sat back in my trailer after he said that and I thought, I think that's really bad advice because I think it's really noble to ask for help. I mean, and you'd be surprised at when people want to help and and life is terribly lonely if you feel like you've got to do it all on your own. And so being vulnerable and open and being okay with 
not being able to do things on my own all the time. I mean, I'm, I was forced to have to be that way, but it's okay. I mean, my, my friends and my family and my coworkers enjoy helping me to be the best that I can be. And I think that MS is my thing, but everybody has something, you know, and people should give themselves permission to ask for help, I think. Well said. Completely agree. Okay, ask everybody this question. Worst advice. You, especially in your role, yeah. probably have gotten a lot of bad advice. Yeah. Like the don't sweat it advice yeah. is some really bad I would, advice. I would say the don't sweat it because that used to be what I think I, the way I used to think I had to live for a long time. And again, I think it really just hurt me. It was, it was very isolating and kind of just, it, it causes a lot of stress and frustration because there's a lot of things you just can't do on your own. So I think like not letting them see you sweat is kind of bad advice. Jamie Lynn, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. This was great. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a review. It really does help get the word out. And don't forget, you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat at Rebecca Jarvis. Special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. Taylor Dunn, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Michelle Bancardo, Steve Jones, Annie Osakwe, and Elizabeth Hecht. And join me next Tuesday for an all-new episode of No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Until then, take care, be well. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.